everybody. Welcome to Cover 4 Live. My name is Brandon Adams. Happy to have the entire Dog Nation team. Jeff Sintel, Mike Griffith, Connor Riley on hand. A couple of days here ahead of G-Day and what's going to go down on Saturday as we get a chance to see all the things we've been hearing about over the course of the spring. It all will be there in front of our eyes coming up on Saturday. I'm certainly looking forward to it. Obviously, you take every advantage you can to be between the hedges and everything associated with that. Maybe our last time of being you know, somewhat socially distant and somewhat unusual in comparison to what you hope is a little bit more normal fall as we head towards the start of the 2021 season. So as I've had most of you on my show, Dog Nation Daily this week, I've asked you some version of this question. So we'll kind of do that. And really a lot a lot of what we do here on the show today will be based around this. Mike Griffith, I will start with you. What are you hoping to see, or maybe hoping is the wrong word, what are you interested to see from G-Day on Saturday? What do you think Georgia fans ought to be interested to see? Well, I think we're only going to get little bits and pieces of JT Daniels in the new offense, but, you know, we'll appreciate those four or five snaps that we see. I, I just I just don't think Kirby wants to show Clemson everything that he wants to do, so I don't anticipate a lot of the shifts and motions and, and certainly not a lot of the plays, but I do think we'll get a little taste and a little feel for just how in sync these guys have been able to get in spring drills with JT Daniels under center and Kirby Smart expressing all that confidence and JT and Todd Munkin. Yeah, Jeff, I mean, how about from you on that standpoint? I mean, look, I've joked about this over the course of the last couple of weeks that for me, you know, the spring game is an offensive display. And now when you play the actual games, defense in 2021 may not be quite as important as offense, but it's still incredibly important. But nobody comes to G-Day. Nobody drives two hours to Athens or however they get there to see the defense play. With all due respect to the great defensive players that Georgia has, they're not sacking quarterbacks to the ground. They're, you know, not playing their you know, full-on scheme the way they will show against a team like Clemson or something like that. This is a day to see offensive firepower. How how interested are you to see how much of that Georgia really is able to demonstrate? Yeah, hey, folks, I don't know what you guys think, but I'm, I'm not betting on any offensive firepower. I think this is Todd Munkin and Kirby Smart have a choice. Do they want to cut off their hand or they want to cut off their foot? Uh, because what you got to see here is, you know, normally – okay, let's just run the ball to death, kill clock. But nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to get anybody hurt uh, going past the thud. And then you want to see, like, are you going to see a ton of bubbles, a ton of uh, kind of little hitches and curls and dumps? Not a lot of variety I expect in the playbook. I think the other thing to think about for me, the big thing I'm looking at is I want to see which quarterback gets the majority of reps with the number two offensive line. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, that takes JT Daniels out of the mix. But I think whether that's Carson Beck, or whether that's Stetson Bennett or whether that's Brock Vandegrift, I think whoever's working with the number two offensive line, some hog mollies in there to quote that long used uh, curb, curb street term, probably have Mims on there, probably have Jones on there, probably have a lot of guys on there, Austin Blasky, Cedric Wadpon Granger. Uh, ideally, I know this is probably a topic for another show, but I think Georgia's second team offensive line might be the seventh best offensive line in the SEC. It could potentially be that good. But Brandon, those are my thoughts. So let me ask this about Vandergriff, and this is not because I don't think that Vandergriff's an amazing prospect. I do. I think he has a very good chance of being Georgia's starting quarterback next season, and you know who knows where he's at on the depth chart by the end of this season. But we're not talking about later. We're talking about now. Uh, of the guys that would take snaps as the number two quarterback, Jeff, I guess I'm going into Saturday assuming that Brock Vandergriff is the least likely quarterback of the ones you just mentioned to be the number two quarterback because of when he arrived, where he is now, in comparison to Carson Beck, who's been here for a year and seemingly generated a little bit of buzz this spring, and obviously Stetson Bennett, who started games 
in SEC play. Vandegrift may be at the top of the list to start the 2022 season. My assumption is he is less likely than the others to be the number two quarterback on Saturday. Do you agree with that? Yeah, that's a good good point, Brandon. I think that that's much to be determined. I don't know if I can uh, Dennis Green crown Vandegrift as the uh, 2022 guy to beat. I think it's going to depend well, a lot. I'm not about saying that he will be. I'm just saying that that could be true. But my guess is he's probably not the number two quarterback on Saturday. Yeah, I, the intrigue I'm looking for is this, Brandon. What if Carson Beck's on one, maybe the red team, and then Vandegrift's on the black team for the majority of snaps? That might be some compelling theater to see, like which guy moves their side the most with the most consistent drives. If you're not going to see a lot of JT Daniels, maybe you'll get to see an early uh, preamble, I guess, to the the battle to be the long-term quarterback of the future at Georgia. The other thing I want to bring into this before I speak to Connor Riley is you mentioned a moment ago that you're not expecting much of the way of offensive fireworks. I mean, I would say that that's true. If this is a I – mean, we've seen low-scoring GD games before where touchdowns were hard to come by. I got to say, just given all the talk this offseason, if that's the show on Saturday, even if there is some rain, which right now there's a little bit of rain, potentially in the forecast. Yeah, Georgia fans are going to be pretty disappointed. I'm not saying it means anything. It certainly doesn't change the forecast of the upcoming season. But Georgia fans will be pretty disappointed if that's the case. I think so. Connor, uh, how about you on Saturday? What are you looking forward to seeing? I guess to Jeff's point, I don't expect, especially because there's apparently supposed to be some rain in the forecast, I don't expect it to be a very potent offensive showing, but I'm interested to see how these wide receivers and cornerbacks match up. Uh, obviously no George Pickens, no Jermaine Burton, but with those guys not out there, Georgia still has some interesting talent, a wide receiver, Arian Smith, Justin Robinson as well. And, and these cornerbacks, as Kirby Smart has said over and over again, just need reps. How does Keely Ringo hold up? How does Nyland Green hold up? Amir Speed, Jalen Kimber. How do those guys look when I do think Georgia is going to take a lot of shots downfield and how do they go about getting their hands on balls and forcing interceptions? So hold on. You don't think it's going to be touchdowns either? No, it's supposed to rain. Check the weather. Oh, Lord. Now we're back to the rain. <laughs> I mean, it is supposed to rain. That is true. Now, hopefully, hopefully, we still got a couple days away, and ho- hopefully that kind of softens up a little bit. But uh, assuming just for a moment it's not a downpour, you know, you know, there is rain in the forecast. Maybe it's not as bad as it could yeah. be. Um, I mean, people want to see points. After all the, t- the talk of we want to be vertical passing attack and, you know, wide receiver this and wide receiver that. I mean, that is what people do want to see. Oh, absolutely. They're going to want to see that. And then Kirby Smart knows that. And he doesn't give people what they want. And, I mean, Clemson, they had reason to, to, to go out there and show, hey, you know, DJ Winlay coming in. We know we don't have Trevor Lawrence. We know we don't have Travis Etienne. Let's go out there and put some points up there. The final score of Clemson's spring game was like 17 to 14. The, I don't expect, you know, a whole lot of points in this time around. Well, in fairness, though, no, like I said before, we've had low-scoring G-Day games. In fairness, though, the Clemson spring game was a total disaster because their backup quarterback tours at Kaylee. So, I yeah. mean, I, I'm guessing there was yeah. a little bit of a dour mood uh, on the uh, Howard's Rock that day because of that. But, Mike, help me out here a little bit. I got wet blanket Jeff on one side. I got wet blanket Connor on the other. Please tell me there's going to be some points scored in G-Day on Saturday. Please give me some. Give me some hope. It doesn't have to be JT Daniels to – I don't even know who the number one receiver would be at this point. <laughs> he doesn't have to be that, but 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 at least give me the idea of, of Georgia finding the end zone a little bit. Well, I heard Jake Kamart is also kicking field goals, BA. So I got a feeling we're going to see some balls going between the uprights with uh, Pod competing with Jake Kamarta kicking field goals. I you know, but I think Jeff and Connor are right. I mean, the problem is. You know, and who's going to run the ball? I mean, I you know, why would you give the ball more than five or six times to Kendall Milton, you know, as great a spring as he's had? I mean, you said it yourself, B.A., 
Clemson left that game without a backup quarterback, and that's a big problem. And the last thing that Kirby Smart needs to do right now is suffer another major injury. I mean, George Pickens likely gone most of the season, if not all. You've already lost your best skill position player for, for most, if not all, of next season. Let's be honest, it's probably only 50-50 Pickens ever shows up in a Georgia uniform again in a game. Uh, you know, Jermaine, they've kept Jermaine Burton out with a hyperextended knee. I don't think they're going to throw him back out there. Kenny McIntosh has a dislocated elbow. They dodged a bullet that he doesn't have to have surgery, but certainly you're not going to play him in this game. I mentioned Kendall Milton, and, you know, he's the golden goose right now. He's had an incredible spring from all accounts, two very strong scrimmages. Uh, And then as far as the tight end position goes, I mean, I think this is what JT feels good about, but how much do you really want JT out there? He's finally got that mobility back on that knee. Oops, somebody falls into your quarterback. I just – it's a game that really – I bet if Kirby could play it in bubble wrap, he would. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess here's the point that I'm getting to is, is that for Georgia this year, scoring's supposed to be easy. It's, it's not supposed to be one of those things of, well, you got to have, you know, the moon in the seventh house and you got to have, you know, everything kind of lining up just perfectly just so you – that was a bit of an astrology reference there for those who were uh, not following along. Um, you know, you, you got to have everything just line up just perfectly so Georgia can find a way to get the end zone. The hope is it's fourth-string quarterback throwing the ball to, you know, whoever – you know, who, whoever. I mean, the hope is – does this, and I don't mean this at the expense of the defense, but as I said before, you know, people come to these games to see the offense. The hope is that the scoring just comes easy enough that – that it doesn't matter if they're trying to hold something back, just the offense is kind of spilling out on all sides. I mean, Connor, you know what I'm talking about here. Yeah, but I, one thing I would push back on you on, yes, it's G-Day. It's the chance for fans to get in the stadium, right, televised, see it in person. This is one of 15 spring practices, and don't mm-hmm. let the takeaways from this one practice overshadow what we have learned and what we have heard from the previous 14. Yeah. Okay. So that actually brings up an interesting point. And um, I want to bounce off what Connor said with both of y'all. And Mike, I want to go to you because you mentioned this a moment ago. Connor said, don't let what you see on this one practice, which is one of Georgia's 15 practices, overshadow what you have heard about the other practices. But the problem with that is, is that, you know, an eyewitness account to me is worth more than somebody else's hearsay. And it kind of always will be. Not to say that that especially when you hear the same thing more than once, you have a tendency to want to believe it, of course. But there is a certain extent to where, you know, I do want to see with my own eyes what whisper campaigns have been telling us over the course of the uh, last few weeks. I mean, Mike, to go along with Connor's point, don't you need to see it in person or at least see it with your own eyes to, to validate a little bit? Yeah, I think we saw a little bit of it from JT last year, though, you know, and, and you can just imagine. I mean, you, you with, with Kirby, I mean, he's pretty transparent. And, and he's a guy that just doesn't give leash easily. And the comment – or throw bouquets. I mean, you know, again, when he's – maybe during recruiting, everybody talks great about everybody because you, you're begging these kids to come here. But once they're on campus, Kirby doesn't need to be filling up anybody's head with how good they are. He doesn't need to be, as you pointed out, giving JT Daniels the job unless it matters. But yet James Cook said this morning, hey, now that we know who the man is, now we can really focus and get that rhythm and – and that's what's happened with these early season workouts and from all accounts in these scrimmages. Uh, you know, scrimmage two outside was mostly about the twos and threes. They went indoors, and that's where I heard Justin Robinson and JT Daniels lit it up. Kirby didn't even want the parents and the boosters to see it in scrimmage two. They saw it in scrimmage one. If you were there at scrimmage one, 
you were the lucky one. That was the that was the scrimmage to see. Scrimmage two, more twos and threes. So you know we do kind of have to read the writings on between the lines with Kirby Smart. Uh, everything that I've heard from people close to the program, JT's doing great. They're in sync. The offense has expanded. Uh, Jordan Davis this morning with some comments about just the night and day difference, how much bigger the playbook is and big plays every day in practice. So we're hearing from the players and the coaches. Uh, but yes, to your point, we're, we're, we're dialing it back and we're trying to prepare everybody that uh, don't expect. To, remember, what was it two years ago? Jake from, uh, you know, what was the first second play of the game? I think Eric Stokes had a pick six on the iconic Jake from and you guys tell me don't starting quarterbacks historically not do well in this game under Kirby smart. Well, listen, this has been an offense. It's also been scuffling around the last few years. Hopefully there's not a lot about this game uh, that, that compares with what Georgia offensive looked like the uh, last couple of years, but you know where I'm coming from on this, Jeff. I mean, you know, I got shows to do that. We got this G day game. I, I, can't, I can't be breaking down. Hey, you know, uh, red team knocks up the black team nine to six. That's a, that's just a little bit harder of a, uh, we got to use this springboard into the summer here. We got to have some fun to, to kind of break down. So guys, you just got Brandon Adams unplugged. That was a little Easter egg you left behind for you. It's, it's basically a hierarchy scale of content trumps all for this man right here. So Brandon, I got one for you. All right. I'm going to give an over-under of 275 yards receiving combined between Ladd McConkey, Jackson Meeks, and Jalen Johnson. That's where all your RPMs on the offensive scoreboards are going to come from. Hey, listen, I'll take it from anybody. I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, like, you know, guy that's already been on the poster. It can be anybody. We've seen that in GDA's past. In fact, that's actually a pretty good place to go. And, Jeff, maybe that was your serious answer there. If there is if there is a G Day hero that emerges for some reason, wide receiver seems like a place that has been in the past for Georgia and a place that it could be on Saturday as well. Um, if I ask you to whittle it down to one, Jeff, who do you think the most likely? And by the way, you know, honestly, compels you to admit here, G Day hero not always a precursor to success on the field. Yeah, I've been around. <laughs> uh, we've kind of been there before. But if I had to get you to whittle it down to one, who's the most likely G Day hero in your mind? Or, or, or let me say it a different way. Who's the G-Day hero that if it did emerge, that could create the most buzz heading into the rest of the summer? Oh, wow. That's a totally different question. I think I, I have think. a name. I actually think I have a name here. But I want to hear, I, I, I hear y'all's names. I'm going to give you my name. I think you might only get like three or four sparklers out of both of these guys, but I think it's going to be uh, – you know, I know you and your shows. You got offense. You need, you need fireworks to deal with here. Listen, I th- I'm I running you, business. I think you want to see – Either three splash plays from Justin Robinson or Adonai Mitchell. Yeah. Or or here's what might happen. It might be seven catches for 115 yards for Darnell Washington. I don't oh, think yeah. that's gonna happen. But like that that type of tight end magic that you would want to see right there. And that would be pull pure Kirby Peanuts, the football and Lucy and Charlie Brown, where he gives, okay, oh, you want some tight ends? Here's 15 catches for 200 yards to your tight ends. Yeah, the Darnell Washington thing is so obvious. That's not even the one that I was thinking about. But obviously it's true, Connor, as Jeff said, that if it's Darnell Washington that has a big day, I mean, at that point in time, there's a chance that the postgame shows six hours long. I mean, there's a chance that we just do an oral history of the day in the immediate moment. Darnell having a big day would just be so much fun for UGA fans who are Hungry for any kind of glimpse they get of something that feels like real football. Big O, as they like to call him, that would be a big one. 
That's why uh, if I could p- place a prop bet, uh, John Fitzpatrick having the most catches among tight ends is the easiest one on the board. Uh, he has actually had a very good spring. And Jason yeah. Daniels spoke highly of him. I was going to go with the different. I think John's a good player, now. by the way. Yeah, uh, yeah, big John Fitzpatrick fan here. Uh, I was going to go with Brock Bowers. I think he's okay. an interesting enough player. He does sort of fit the, hey, let's try and get the tight end the ball. That way we can say, hey, look at the spring game. We throw you the ball. And then turns out you have more receptions in the spring game than you do from your tight ends in the ensuing season. I, I think Bowers is an interesting guy. Obviously, Kirby doesn't want to put too much hype or pressure on him. But it sounds like, by all accounts, of the early enrollees, he's had the best, best spring to date and if he goes out and sort of validates that i think it's an interesting piece to add into the georgia offense and i would point out this is going to be his first real game act game action since november of 2019 yeah that's a good point there as well you had a great story about him at dognation.com as well mike i want to get your answer but i want to go back to jeff here for a moment because the other two names you mentioned D, uh, j rob and uh uh ad mitchell donnie mitchell if if they were to have the big games on the heels of what terrence Edwards just said about donnie mitchell what a lot of folks have said about Justin Robinson. It would be a very big deal for like the eyewitness account to match the expert testimony. You know what I'm saying? Like if you were able to pair those two things together, you'd have a lot of steam going into the summer for both Robinson and for Mitchell in that standpoint, because there's been all kinds of talk about Adonai Mitchell and Justin Robinson has had a lot of that too. So Jeff, there'd be something very interesting if what we see on G-Day really does validate a lot of these inside reports. If you were able to match those two things together, That'd be a fun offseason for both those guys, I would say. I, I don't know. You probably dedicate one of your shows next week, Brandon, still to probably what's wrong with the cornerbacks? The cornerbacks will not be ready. No, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not. Listen, these guys play in handcuffs on G. We all know that. Schematic wise, you know, obviously that they're helped by being able to sack quarterbacks to the ground. Uh, look, in professional wrestling, there's this concept known as enhancement talent the guy that doesn't have music, that doesn't have you know, a cool nickname, the guy that just is in the ring to make the other guy look good. With all due respect to a Georgia defense, I think it'd be pretty good this year. On G-Day, they are essentially enhancement talent. They're, the, they're, they're George South of the Mulkey brothers. They're in there to kind of make the other side, you know, kind of look good. At least, at least that's the hope that you kind of have uh, for Saturday. But, Mike, uh, who in your mind would be the guy, if there is a breakout, who would be the most interesting there? Well, you just asked two different questions. Who'd be the most interesting and who'd be the guy? You're really throwing some curves today, B.A. Uh, the guy that I think probably will have a big day is Demetrius Robertson, mm-hmm. uh, a veteran that admittedly needs a, needs a strong offseason and some momentum, a guy that uh, you know I don't expect necessarily to be an All-American, but a guy that needs film, a guy that's worked hard, uh, a guy deserving. And so I, I think uh, – now, the most surprising guy uh, could be someone like Dejan Edwards because, again, somebody's got to run and catch the ball, and I don't think you want to take too many chances with James Cooks or, or, or Kendall Milton. You may see Zamir catch the ball. We've heard that Zamir has really improved his uh, receiving and route running. That may be something they want to showcase so that, you know, Clemson sees Zamir out there and they're where he can do more than, uh, you know, lower his head into the line, right? So I, I could see Zamir White. Uh, having a bigger day, scoring some touchdowns, Dejon Edwards, Demetrius Robertson. I don't think you're going to see the guys, though, that Georgia wants to spring on Clemson. Again, why would you want to show Georgia how you plan to use just, Justin Robinson or or Kendall Milton? And, and that's what this is. I, I understand that, you know, you want it to be featurey and fun, but at the end of the day, 
you want to beat Clemson and you want to go undefeated. And ultimately that's what this is. Uh, yeah. There's some fun things they can do. I'm sure there'll be some, some trick plays and I'm sure Kirby will say some funny things to whoever's holding the microphone. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Whatever. Ha ha. But I just, it's just not going to be the fireworks of, Oh, what a coming out party. Uh, that's just not how it's played these days, especially not with Kirby. To so, Mike's point, to Mike's point, it's very interesting that there's the most obvious answer, at least to the wide receiver position. None of us said the name Arian Smith. And okay. I think that's because he figures to be such a big part of this Georgia offense come the fall. Why even throw out there and try and funnel him the football? Maybe like you would say a Justin Robinson or an Adonai Mitchell. But I actually really like the name that Mike gave. And I, I feel pretty confident saying this. And I, Connor and Jeff, I want you to react to this. There's nobody who would generate more buzz for a good game on Saturday than Demetrius Robertson. Because if if uh, uh, you mentioned, you know, like Darnell Washington, people already think Washington's good. If he had a good game, people would just say he had a good game because he's a good player. To an extent, the same thing's true with even Arian Smith. We haven't seen him a ton. But if Smith were to catch a long touchdown, well, of course he did. He's a, he's a big-time player. Uh, that's the assumption that exists out there. Even with some of the younger guys like, you know, Mitchell and Robinson. At this point in time, I mean, I think there's some Georgia fans that may have even forgotten that Demetrius Harper's even came back for this year as kind of a super senior. To the casual fan, this will be a reminder that he's still here. Now, I, we've said this before. There are obviously false positives in G-Day all the time. I'm not looking to tell you that this means that he's on in line for a great season. But if Robertson were to get multiple touchdowns on Saturday, if he were to get 75 yards receiving, something along those lines, that is a very fun post-game story. The kind of thing that people would be loving to fill up the comment section with on our post-game show, or I think it makes for a, a cool story for people to read on Sunday morning with breakfast at dognation.com. D-Rob having a big G-Day would be very well received by Georgia fans. In fact, I don't believe there's a receiver on this roster that could have a more fun reception for a good game than D-Rob back here again for another season that Georgia might be able to provide. There's no question that B.A. would be parked right in front of this camera talking about it after the game. Yeah, see, B.A. wants B.A. wants Demetrius Robertson to have a great game because he still has a ton of real estate on Demetrius Robertson Island, and he has not totally given up on it yet. He's so been my he's breakout player three game. years in a row. Yeah, he's using that to try and get people back interested and say, come on out to Demetrius Robertson Island as the leader and the conductor of the Demetrius Robertson hype train. B.A. would love nothing more than to get back on that train. But you understand this, Jeff. I mean, D-Rob's got a lot of name recognition with fans. There are a lot of folks who've been kind of waiting on this. And to be completely honest with you, whether it happens at G-Day or not, I do think his presence as kind of one of these so-called super seniors in the Georgia roster, I do think that's potentially a pretty valuable you know, asset for Georgia, especially at a time in which receiver play has never been more important. And Georgia's obviously you know, facing some extra questions because of the, the injury to George Pickens. Honestly, uh, I think that D-Rob has a chance to still have a role on this team this year, and why not put it on display during G-Day? Yeah, I think, Brennan, I think I like your point. I think most people forget that uh, the highest-rated receiver on the Georgia roster is Demetrius Robertson. He was a former number one overall receiver in the country. Uh, that having been said, if we're going to play one-up uh, headlines, uh, most uh, – tantalizing, scintillating headline coming out of G-Day. I got one for you, fellas. Okay. And that is three sacks apiece for Nolan Smith and Adam Anderson. But I, I can't get that, excited. Hold on, but, that, but Jeff, with all due respect, I can't get excited about a sack when all it is is a blown whistle. I, I, can't, <laughs> yeah. I, I, can't, I can't do it. I can't have 
I mean, you, you might as well say it's 11 sacks, right? Because um, all it is is a blown whistle. I don't want to see any sacks in this game on Saturday. Um, you, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I mean, are you going to really get excited about a sack when all it is is a blown whistle? I mean, because, listen, we know Adder, we know Anderson can get around the edge. So, I mean, you're going to have a chance to blow that whistle anytime you want to. I, I can't get excited about those kinds of sacks. Now, if it's if it's DJ Uwe Ungle and he's getting slammed to the turf, you better believe I'm excited about that. But if it's JT Daniels or, you know, set the minute Carson Beck, whoever else, and it's, hey, you know, we we, we thought he was Too close, we blew the whistle. Yeah. I don't, I, Jeff, I don't want any part of that. How about 15 hurries? But, I mean, we're really dancing around the obvious here. The obvious would be is backup quarterback John Doe X has 250 yards passing, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. That's what you want to talk about. You want to bang that no. drum about Georgia looks like a number two guy coming out of – Georgia looks like it's, that, it's number two it, guy. Even if, Set, even if Setson Bennett does that, no one will want to talk about it. Um, but I'm going to give him credit for it if he does. Oh, though. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He should he, – and he should. I'm just saying the fan reception is going to be – well, if it's if Setson Bennett has that kind of game, no one is going to be happy about it. Yeah, I mean, if Carson Beck would have that game, Mike, I see your hand raised. I'll let you say whatever you want to say, yeah. but respond to this if you don't mind because you've written about him. If Carson Beck were to have, like, the statistical big day – that's a big deal to Georgia fans because that's something new. They haven't seen that. Beck's been here for a year. There's some curiosity about him. Beck having a big day on Saturday, it's not going to make ESPN headlines because, you know, nobody outside of the Georgia fan base really knows anybody's backup quarterback. Um, but, you know, within Georgia fandom world, that'd be a big deal for Georgia fans if Beck were to have a uh, were, were to have a big day. Well, he had a big day last year. If you read my virtual spring game story from 2020, Carson Beck was the the star of the yes Pickens got hurt in that. Not so funny now, is it? But no, it wasn't Carson that funny then either, to be honest with you. <laughs> Carson Beck had a huge day in the 2020 spring virtual game that didn't happen. As Kirby Smart was talking about the Notre Dame game on George's version of us, reminding us that Richard LeCount gave up a pass. For some reason, Kirby threw that out there because, of course, he's Kirby. But I, I do think Beck will have a good day. I do. I've heard great things about Carson. Uh, it's exciting. He's, you know, he's become the guy. You know, Centel told us that he would be three years ago. Uh, you know, Centel's intel proven accurate once again. But there's no doubt that if Demetrius Robertson were to catch a wheel route and show he's locked in, everybody would be excited. Oh, no doubt about that. Now to go back. By the way, let me remind folks who we are. This is our Cover Four Live broadcast. Mike Griffith, Jeff Centel, Connor Riley. My name is Brandon Adams. A little different than normal. Instead of bouncing around a bunch of topics, we're obviously looking ahead to the big event coming up on Saturday for G-Day. Of course, coverage all day long on the video side with me and, of course, online at dognation.com as we get ready for that. It's going to be a great day. But, Jeff, since you mentioned defense, I thought that when Kobe Dean spoke to reporters this week, I thought he actually gave a very interesting answer in terms of kind of what he'd like to see from G-Day on Saturday. And this is very easy even for kind of a, you know, a, a dumbo like me to kind of, you know, pay attention to. He said he just simply wants to see tackling. You know, Kirby Smart's expressed this, the challenge of being a good tackling team when you are going to be somewhat limited by how much you can practice that because you don't want injury risk during practice. So Dean said, hey, when you go chest to chest on somebody, is that guy hitting the ground? You know, are there missed tackles? Are there guys getting extra yards after contact? I'm not that interested in sacks in a game in which you're not actually sacking the quarterback. But, Jeff, you better believe, to Dean's point, on running plays or pass plays over the middle, anytime there's a chance to make a tackle, does that ball carrier go down automatically? I think Dean really gives us something really good to look at from that standpoint. Yeah, and the Kobe's always been really sharp and that kind of coach on the field savvy. 
first time I saw him, I saw him live a couple times and once in an all-star game where he's diagnosing the plays in practice um, by which way a guy's eyes are leaning and everything else like that. Um, defensively, you know, I, I think it's just the way these spring games are wired. I think Connor threw out the, the number that it's 17 to 14. I think the over-under on this thing would probably be about 35 points, and I would go on the under on one of these games. Certainly, Georgia fans do not want to see six field goals from J-Pod uh, in this type of game. But uh, defensively, if I sit there and I think about the probing type, type headlines, maybe just some assertion from Keely Ringo and Jalen Kimber about their talent and true ability. Maybe they break up a bunch of passes. Maybe they run stride for stride with Arian Smith. Uh, I th- I'm expecting really big things from Kimber this fall. I think if you have to look around the room and say, who's the guy most likely to uh, draw the number one receiver right now on that roster uh, against Clemson, I think that could very well be Kimber. And I think people just need to see validation of that, his tackling ability, and maybe he put Kendall Milton on his fanny in space one-on-one. I think people would be, get excited by that. I think also people would love to see Keely Ringo start to flash all that five-star ability. So let me change the conversation here just a little bit because I've joked about this, but I really do believe this is true. I kind of view G-Day as sort of a self-contained event, something that I just want to be entertained by. I don't necessarily take it to mean all that much. I just think it's a chance to have fun. So what we've learned during spring and what you see on G-Day can be different things. Now, as I told Connor a moment ago, sometimes you validate what you've heard during spring, but the question of what we learned this spring is not necessarily all that tied to what's happening here on G-Day on Saturday, because some of the defensive stuff, sacking quarterbacks as an example of this, you don't see quite as much of. So if we kind of shift gears here with Saturday being the official end of spring practice, Connor, what do you think we have learned this spring that kind of matters maybe more than anything else? Or one or two things, if you want. Um, it's not so much what we've learned. It's what we haven't learned about the offensive line. And I think the fact that it is still – so unsettled there yeah. that this isn't just going to be a, oh hey it's the Clemson this is our starting five this is what it's going to be for the rest of the season I expect the offensive line to change over the course of the season and not necessarily subscribe to the fact that the game one starters are going to end up being the game 12 13 starters along those lines and this is for everybody here is there anybody who would raise a red flag at the idea that the starting five back you know protecting JT Daniels to begin this game Trust going left to right. Trust Salyer. I'll say Erickson, Schaefer, and McClendon. Is there anybody who says no? I don't believe that's what the five is going to be. Nope. Sounds like that's what people think the five is going to be. Mike, yep. I I think Connor's answer is a really good one here. Uh, and it's, I guess unfortunately, uh, it's an unanswered question to leave the spring. But the somewhat unsettled nature of that offensive line, Mike, I think is a huge story for Georgia going into the summer and it's just kind of the way things are right now yeah the good news is I don't think there's a bad answer you know I, I think if Broderick Jones gets the power and strength they want in the run game and is able to win that job I think that's good news I think if Amarius Mims picks up the playbook and beats the odds and starts as a freshman at some point that's good news I mean if Xavier Truss a third year guy uh you know is the you know who started in the Chick-fil-a Beach Bowl if that's your worst answer uh, that, that's not horrible. Um, I do think he would start the opening game because of the experience, but I fully expect Roderick Jones to emerge there at that position at some point next season. He's the best that they have in pass protection, not the most experienced, maybe not the best all around, 
uh, but they tell me this guy's feet are amazing and that he's a future first rounder. So, you know, once he gets the power that they want in the run game uh, and is comfortable with the playbook, I, I don't think there's any question. Now, I do think we learned something in the sense that, you know, maybe we, we, uh, we just kind of assumed it would happen, but it still had to play out. And that's the trust that Kirby Smart is putting in Todd Munkin and JT Daniels. He said more than once it's Todd Munkin's offense. Uh, he spoke today about JT's role and how there are just not as many bad plays or broken plays when you have a guy like JT that learns and grows the system and is taken over as really a leader in the program. I mean, JT uh, showed a lot last year before he was the starter. He had to show you how to handle yourself when you're not the guy. He was very supportive of Stetson and Dwan. He was uh, playing his role well. He was engaged. Uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't have like some jacket, something over his, his head so you couldn't see who he was and you couldn't see his number. He wasn't sitting away from the team, pouting. He was very engaged and showing leadership. And I think he won Kirby over. We've come a long way since the Mississippi State post game when, uh, when uh, JT threw four touchdowns and 400 yards. And yet Kirby said, there's a few throws he would have wanted back. It kind of almost sounded like JT might have gone vertical uh, two or three or four more times than the head coach would have liked. But uh, I think we've come a long way with where JT is at and Kirby's comfort level with what I expect uh, to be a wide open offense next season. Jeff, what do you think we've learned so far this spring? I think I got a sneaky take. I don't, I don't know if uh, – I'd be interested to see if Jamari actually plays much at all on the offensive line, uh, especially considering uh, a lot of other guys are getting parked and saved for the games that matter. I guess my sneaky take is I don't know if Broderick Jones would be ready to start a traditional Oper against certain opponents, but I think it sets up so well for him to potentially sneak in there and start against Clemson. Clemson's strength of their teams, their pass rush, their defensive line. And it's kind of funny. Georgia might be a little left-handed, I guess, with um, – or I guess I would say right-handed with uh, Roderick Jones at, at right tackle. Maybe they can only do one thing very well. Uh, but I think if, he, if the only thing he can do very well is uh, play left tackle and block and keep guys off JT Daniels' back and give him some time, that might just be the best thing Georgia needs going against Clemson. Maybe it might not be the best thing Georgia would need going against many other opponents in the SEC of that caliber. So I want to probe you on that a little bit more because I think that's really interesting. I would almost assume that what you said, the opposite of that would be true, which is, and I've said this on my show a couple times this week, that that any kind of question mark to tackle could get, get you beat against Clemson because in addition to being a very good team, it's also a very good team with a huge strength right there along you know, the, the defensive front with just guys who can rush that passer. You know, for me, that's a day to, to be very careful putting out somebody that's inexperienced. Now, that's not to say that I – couldn't eventually be talking to Broderick Jones being ready for that spot. I, obviously, I've got big belief in Jones as a prospect. But just based on what I've heard right now as a fan, I'd be a little anxious about Jones making his first start against Clemson because it just seems like there hasn't been that prodigious level of buzz this spring for a guy who was about to start a game against a team like Clemson who's you know as, as good as they are in front seven, Jeff. Well, let me tell you why I feel this way, because I think there's a, the amount of talent there that if Broderick does rep out there and go first string, that he'd have deserved it. It's not like Georgia didn't have anybody else there. For, for Georgia to put him out there, I think that would be a giddy-up, let's-go moment for most Georgia fans because most, most would understand that the decision has been made that Jones is going to be a little bit better than Truss, going to be a little bit better than even something radical like putting Jamari Salyer back there or even 
flipping Warren McClendon, who's probably the best overall functioning tackle on the team right now, to the other side. Uh, I think if it's Jones, I think there's enough players there to, to trust uh, Matt Luke and the Georgia staff to think, well, if he's starting, then he's ready. Because, like I said, I think Georgia's offensive line, their second-team offensive line group, I don't know if there's seven or eight better offensive starting offensive line groups in the SEC. Surely experience, 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 that's all necessary. But there are some tremendously talented young men that are currently backing up the first group at Georgia. Connor, the premise that Jeff just established, I totally agree with, that if he could emerge over a guy that started a game four and Xavier Trust, I would clearly believe that to be a good thing. But success leaves clues, and I guess I'd just like to, to hear a little bit more about the the possibility of that happening before I was ready to say, yeah, you know what? Uh, that, that, that young man's going to be rolling up his sleeves come Clemson. I'd like to be hearing a little bit more if that were about to happen. Right. And Mike touched on this a little bit earlier, but the thing you still constantly hear on Broderick Jones is he has to get stronger. He has to get better in the run game. And, and Roderick with his build and the way he's physically filled out, he's never going to be the mauler that Xavier Trust was, that, that Solomon Kinley was that Sam Pittman really looked for in the past. He's just fundamentally a different offensive lineman. And he might get to a point point in his career where it is good enough, but that is absolutely never going to be his strong suit. So at the end of the day, Georgia is going to have to decide, hey, does what Broderick give us in the pass protection game worth sacrificing for what we potentially lose in the run blocking game? And Mike, the other thing about this too is, and I've been hearing a lot of this later in the NFL draft, where people wonder who, who are the left tackles in the NFL draft, as for instance. But if you really watch the NFL game right now, this is not a sport where the primary pass rush is always coming quarterback blindside, right? You see, you see guys lying up on the right side, for instance, defensively. They're pass rushing from there. Connor brought this up on the show the other day. Interior pass rush is a huge deal, especially with you know talent like what Brian Brzee, people like that, bring from Clemson. That it's not like this is 1985. And the only place you're getting a huge pass rush from is the backside of a quarterback. That's just not really quite the way. Certainly, that Brent Venable's defense is going to work. Nor is that the way that modern football kind of works overall. Yeah, you're right. I think that was something else we learned uh, this spring. It sounds like the running backs have really been charged with learning that blitz pickup because of that point, B.A., that, you know, guys are going to have to be able to protect J.T., whether it's Zamir, a guy that we know that can do it. Uh, Kendall Milton talked uh, earlier in the week about flipping the flipping the script, getting strong at things that he wasn't good at. Well, he didn't go through last spring, and uh, I think that's something Kendall's prided himself on uh, this spring. James Cook, although I I would be more inclined to release him than keep him in, in pass protection. I would want to put him out in the, in the flats, but uh, I do think that the pass protection, the elevated pass protection skills that, that Kirby's demanded from the running backs is probably a testament to what you're saying. Uh, because at the end of the day, the one guy that you absolutely cannot lose if you want to win the SEC championship is JT Daniels. First and foremost, protection will be at the top of that list. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I guess to kind of sum all this up, Connor, I probably feel pretty good about this team as it gets ready to come to the conclusion of spring practice. Because here's the thing. You can talk about offensive line. That's unsettled for Georgia. The secondary is a huge issue. The truth is, if we were doing a cover four for, you know, Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, Oklahoma, teams like that, there'd still be issues in all these teams. You know, we fixate on the Georgia issues because that's what we do for a living. That's what the fans that we, you know, speak to, Georgia fans that we speak to, that's what what they care about. But no team is with, without issues. And even with the injury to George Pickens, I actually finished spring thinking, yep, Georgia's about where I thought they'd be in that handful of half-dozen teams in the country that have a mm-hmm. legit chance to win a national championship. The group is not really much larger than that. 
Um, I, I kind of think that's about, about where they are right now. Right, and we're going to talk so much about the Clemson game over the course of the offseason. But even I think if Georgia loses that game, they can still very much win the SEC and get into the college football playoff. It's much more important that Georgia figures out what it's doing and what it wants to be by game 13 than it does that necessarily first game. And with Broderick Jones in particular to tie it all back together, I think if Georgia sticks with him and puts him out there at left tackle, that could be maybe the most significant sea change we've seen in terms of signaling that Kirby Smart wants to go from a predominantly run-first offense to one that is willing and capable of throwing the football a lot more, just given that is where Broderick Jones' strength so much lies. Yeah, and, and Mike, I've said this about that offensive changeover. To me, it's not how much you throw. It's about when you throw. Do you throw early in the game, first and second quarter? Do you throw on early downs, first and second down? That's something we could probably see from G-Day a little bit of when it's – David Pollock said this on my show a few weeks ago. When it's second and seven, what play call do you make there? Is that a running play? And the old Georgia offense, it kind of was. But if you want to be like you know LSU, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State teams like that have been – Second seven needs to be a passing down for you during the season and quite possibly on G-Day there as well. Now, provided that you have the receivers to get open and make the plays, it sure does. And, and that's where them being on the same page with JT Daniels is so important. You know, the air raid is predicated, you know, the whole air raid attacking space, attacking air. And that's somewhat dictated by the defense. And that's why it's so important, you know, that you have these receivers with high football IQs that are making the same read is the quarterback saying, aha, we both see the same space of, of patch of, of grass. We both see the same seam in the zone. We're both reading the same coverage at the line of scrimmage. I mean, that's the beauty of the air raid. That's the beauty of having a quarterback like a JT Daniels or like a Jake Fromm that can go to the line and be that jet pilot and, and make that play at the line of scrimmage, right? They don't have to look to the sideline to the coach to know what to do. Right. And that hurts the defense because the defense, usually when those quarterbacks look to the sideline for what to do and the coach calls the play, the offense adjusts, then the defense adjusts. But when you've got a quarterback like a Jake Fromm or a JT Daniels that's able to make that play at the line of scrimmage, the defense doesn't have time to adjust. They see what they like. They go. They don't like it. They adjust. Advantage offense. I want to get some recruiting talk from Jeff before we're done here. I'll also remind folks today that cover four live, not a live broadcast. Uh, so we're not able to take your comments at the end of the program, but we certainly appreciate you being with us here today. Before we do any of that, though, to wrap things up, um, Connor, I'm of the belief that spring games at Georgia still matter in a way that they don't always around the rest of college football right now. It wasn't that long ago that Georgia had 93,000 for the spring game in 2016, big crowds in the years after that there as well. You know, there are a couple of spots in the SEC this year that aren't having spring games. Now, the official reason is COVID-related, but you kind of wonder sometimes, just given the, the the chatter that kind of exists around some of these spring scrimmages at certain spots around the SEC. Also, there's talk out west of, hey, maybe one day you'd play a different opponent other than yourself for one of these spring games. But one way or another, the spring game at Georgia, the traditional G-Day, when as many fans can be there as want to be, I get the impression this still matters at UGA, and to a degree matters to Kirby Smart, in a way that it probably doesn't matter to everybody across the college football landscape right now. Yeah, I can tell you there are fans legitimately excited to go out and see what JT Daniels looks like. And if we weren't in a COVID world where it could be a full stadium, I don't expect 93,000 people to come out, but a significant portion of people would absolutely want to come out and see what JT Daniels looks like. There is a real interest in sort of how this team looks at and going and plays going forward. And I think 
you know, this game is going to be broadcast on SEC Network Plus. Uh, they did not get an SEC Network slot. Alabama, I believe, got ESPN too. There are going to be a lot of very frustrated Georgia fans on Saturday because they lack the ability to figure out how to get on SEC Network Plus and watch this game. And I think that's going to be a very interesting lesson that the SEC Network and ESPN take going forward of saying, hey, you know, yes, it's a spring game and a bunch of other schools try and do these on the same day, but maybe Georgia's is a little bit of a bigger deal than perhaps we even under we expected it to be. I mean, Mike, uh, part of the example of why I would say what I say about, you know, Georgia in regards to this is there are a lot of spring games across the country that have convoluted scoring systems now where it's not just keeping up with touchdowns and field goals. Kirby still uses a traditional scoring system for this. It's like a regular football game. Uh, Georgia, for the most part, will play, at least if they do it like they have in the past, will play ones against ones and twos against twos. They don't kind of cross-pollinate to different, you know, uh, uh, you know, depth chart type things there. They treat it, at least in terms of the way they go through the paces, as, as a fairly competitive football game. Frankly, as someone who just kind of likes having this in my life, I'm glad Georgia treats it as real as they do. Yeah, I think it'll be fun, you know, and I think it's just fun to have a game at Sanford Stadium. I mean, there were only three home games last year. Kirby pointed out this morning there's only three scrimmages in the spring. I mean, it's it's six times in one year you get to use one of the best backdrops for college football in the country. So I think just the celebration of football at Sanford Stadium is something that is really special. There's nothing like football games on campus, and certainly Georgia has a beautiful campus. This is a beautiful time of year. I think a lot of people are excited about the program. And, you know, to Connor's point, people just want to see JT Daniels. You know, I'm not talking about some trip to the zoo, but, you know, the reality of it is you want to be in the presence of this guy. You know, you sense that there's something special about him, even if it's just watching him warm up on the sideline or how does he carry himself? Does he, you know, throw the the wristband or the leg sleeve into the crowd? I don't know it, you know, but, but I, there's something to be said, I do think, for being there. Uh, I know there's limited attendance this year because of COVID. I think Connor makes a really good point. Uh, I, I just, <laughs> I think it's an absolute blunder that these games aren't at least being taped delayed somewhere uh, if you can't show it live. But, you know, but then on the other hand, maybe the whole point of it is to try to make sure that, that people purchase these services, right? They're going to kind of stick it to you. And as for the idea to well, play we should point out, games, though, it is not an extra cost that if you do have, yeah, if you have SEC to the SEC network, you still get. I mean, we should just for the audience, uh, it is not a pay per view event that if you've got SEC network or ESPN, you can still watch the game. Yeah, SEC network. And, and as for playing other teams, I mean, that's actually something that, that Coach Dooley with that Dooley came up with long ago in the 1980s. Uh, there's a whole nother sidebar conversation for this, you know, wanting to play Alabama in a spring game because Georgia and Alabama famously. Yeah wouldn't play one another during the regular season. The SEC behind the scenes made sure these programs didn't play in the regular season, uh, dating back to a case that goes all the way back to 1960, oh, yeah. a legal case. We should do a like a BA and Mike 30 for 30. On Honestly, that. like Mike, you're like me. You like these old SEC stories. That is one of those things that one day it would be really fun to kind of get people to talk about, you know, why it was that, that Georgia and Alabama did not like playing each other and the bad blood that existed there, kind of going back, I guess, the Wally Butts era and the, uh, um, the Bear Bryant era, I guess. Um, yeah. That'd be a really fun thing to one day kind of dive. There's some stories like that from Georgia's football past. I think you and I both kind of get a kick out of that. It'd be fun to kind of dive deep into some of that at a certain point. 
we got one that's ongoing. I think everybody's trying to figure out why Herschel Walker doesn't have a statue or something on campus. Or, you know, I make the case for Ray Goff in the Circle of Honor as a former SEC Player of the Year. I can't understand for the life of me how you could win an SEC championship and be the Player of the Year at Georgia and a graduate and a, a fine businessman and served 19 years at Georgia and not be in the Circle of Honor. But there's some swimmer up there I've never heard of. So there's all sorts of mysteries and fun stories at Georgia. So, Jeff, as we get ready to wrap up, I think you're still with us. Uh, from a recruiting standpoint, I've seen where Kristen Miller's expecting to be there. How big of a deal, just given the fact there are limited tickets and obviously you have to be a little bit creative about how you even get your hands on some tickets. Because of all that, how big of a deal from a recruiting standpoint does this end up being for Georgia on Saturday? So, Brandon, have you announced on your show yet that you bought 60 tickets and anybody with a four-star ranking and higher can meet you behind the bookstore and you'll – You'll get them into the game if you announce hey, that yet. Yeah, hey, don't get me in trouble. I don't think we have name, image, and likeness rules uh, in place yet. Don't get me in trouble. For anybody who may be listening, uh, that is that is for entertainment purposes only. Definitely a joke there. But um, well, this is going to happen, Brandon. I know you mentioned it earlier. I think somebody mentioned that Alabama was uh, uh, having its spring game as well. And what's happening there with Alabama is uh, the number one guy I have left on the board at Georgia. That's um, a fellow by the name of Michael Williams. Michael Williams, he's actually going to be at A-Day in Tuscaloosa on Saturday for his first ever trip. He's never been to Bryant-Denny. He's never been on the campus at Alabama whatsoever. So that's, a for him, a first-time bite of the apple there for everything that is Alabama football. Well, um, next time you yeah. speak to him, Jeff, just let him know that the YouGov, uh, <laughs> the YouGov poll recently came out and Alabama is the 50th ranked state in the country. So just just, just let him know that so he's fully aware of what he's getting into if he heads over there to Tuscaloosa. And, I mean, you know, the the counterpoint of that is he went and saw Georgia twice in 2019, loved those atmospheres, loved those things. But this is a, a first example where a major recruit – remember that storyline, Brandon? A major recruit has a chance to go to Georgia for a game, and they choose to go – to one of the other power brokers in college football yeah. as well. That's what you have there. I think you're going to see a lot of the commitments find a way to show up. Jalen Walker told me last night that him and his family were getting in the family truckster. They're oh, going to spend cool. the weekend. They're going to spend the weekend in Athens. They're not just going to um, at least spend one night. They're not just going to, um, you know, show up for the game and go in and out. Uh, unfortunately, Brendan, I was able to confirm that Travis Shaw, the five-star defensive tackle, will not be in that um, – family transportation with Jalen Walker, but you've got, the, you know, some of the normal names, Christian Miller, I thought was a big name. You're going to see some of the commitments show up. Um, the big thing is what we've reported all week is, you know, that I guess I would say the major guys to consider for Georgia in this class, you've got a lot of those offensive targets and those guys are going to be um, participating in a seven on seven match. An all day tournament in greater Atlanta Christian. Those are names like Kojo and Commitment, Gunner Stockton, commit, commitment, Marquise Groves, Killebrew. Um, a lot of those guys are going to be uh, participating in a 707 event and won't be able to make it. That goes for us. I think we're losing Jeff. Yeah, Jeff is going to surprise folks to come up. <laughs> Jeff is actually on assignment. He's on his way to cover. Um, some uh, high school stuff here today. So we'll let him do that, but, uh, but certainly good information from him there. And of course, more of that coming tomorrow as part of dog nation daily. And as Jeff said on the pages of dognation.com here uh, as well. So very, very interesting stuff from Jeff. 
about who will and won't be there coming up on Saturday. So I'm really glad he was able to give us that. Uh, Mike and Connor, how about a final word from you before we hop out the door here? I'm, I've got to go here, B.A. I know we've talked all football, but in light of the whole Vanderbilt payback angle, the baseball team and what they did in Nashville against a, a team ERA that led the country against two of the top three uh, draft picks coming up, uh, Leiter and, and Kumar Rocker, these, these could be the one-two picks in the, in the Major League Baseball draft. Uh, and George goes in there and just seven home runs on a Thursday night televised game absolutely embarrasses Vanderbilt on the SEC network. Uh, Follow-up, they, they dropped a 5-2 decision on Friday. Lighter pitched uh, lights out. And then they come back in it's, it's Saturday, beat them 9-1. to one. I mean, it's like this isn't a fluke. And, uh, you know, to me, I don't know if, if Georgia fans, uh, football fans, got a little uh, satisfaction out of that, uh, you know, because we all kind of think that, that Kirby and Georgia – you know, you mentioned when they're going to throw. We all kind of wonder if, if Kirby doesn't call the dogs off as he normally would for a couple of reasons. One, in this style of offense, uh, you know, you got to get the timing down. We saw Steve Spurrier do it in the 90s. People didn't like it. But the fun and gun was a four-quarter offense. And the whole, you have to take advantage of those game reps. And you don't worry about the scoreboard, right? Uh, and you wonder if Georgia, you know, will continue to throw the ball in Nashville against Vanderbilt. Uh, one of the worst teams on their schedule, along with Georgia Tech. And uh, according to the FBI, I guess Tennessee's ranked pretty low, too. But uh, so I, I'm going to say Georgia baseball. I thought that was big for Scott Strickland. I thought it was great momentum. I thought it was a great moment for the University of Georgia uh, to go in there and take down the number one baseball team in a series. First time since 1993 that Georgia had done that and won a series. So uh, to me, well, that was, that too, was a storyline. I'll say this too, per capita, and I mean this in all sincerity, per capita, Vanderbilt's baseball team is hated as bad as any team in the SEC is hated. There aren't as many people that care about SEC baseball, but everyone who cares about SEC baseball universally hates Vanderbilt. So so anytime you have a chance to go in there and take a series against the Vandy boys, I can promise you that there are a lot of folks, not just Georgia fans, there are a lot of folks around the SEC uh, watching to uh, see Georgia do that last weekend. Obviously, I'd love to see them carry on that momentum Again, this weekend, an SEC play there as well after kind of getting past uh, Georgia State a little earlier. Uh, you'd love to be able to see that. But uh, Vandy Boys, not a very popular team among SEC baseball fans. So there was a lot of, of gratitude on the part of a number of uh, SEC baseball fans seeing the Diamond Dogs take them down. I think that's a, a really good point. Connor, how about a final word from you? Yeah, so at the time we're taping this, it hasn't officially passed, but it's expected to come on Thursday. The NCAA is expected to allow the one-time transfer rule for all college athletes passing, allowing them to transfer to another school without having to sit out a season anymore. And we've already sort of seen this in college basketball. It's going to be a give and take thing. One week you might see a bunch of your players go in to the transfer portal, such as the case with Georgia a week ago. And then this week comes out, you get three really talented players who can help your roster. It's going to be difficult. Not everyone is going to like it at first, largely because that is just how change works. But I think teams that go the best about managing the transfer portal and understanding, hey, you're going to have to keep guys happy all the time and understand that this is just a new part of the college game are going to be the most successful from it. And I'm very interested to see how Georgia goes about managing that, especially on the football side when Kirby Smart hasn't exactly been shy about how he feels about the transfer portal. I think Mike and I are both fairly similar in that we're pretty skeptical about this. I, I, I assume that you're a little bit more open to it. Are you completely open to it? Do you think this is a good move for college sports? 
I think this first year is going to be the worst year of it because it is a new thing. People are going to be more inclined to see how it works. And then we're sort of going to see the ramifications of it. And you've already sort of started to see it with so many guys going into the transfer portal and not exactly having another place to go. I, I think there'll be a big spike this first year. But as we get into year two, year three, farther into it, we might be a little bit more okay with it. Mike, and I promise we'll finish this. We'll get off the air. But that's the thing to me that I just think needs more investigation. And hopefully people will have the willingness to report on this part of it, that a huge number of players across all sports, only the ones, obviously the one we care about the most here in terms of our jobs is football. With these players enter the transfer portal and it almost becomes like the Roach Motel. They check in, they can't check out. They've got nowhere else to go. And, you know, I, I hope that spotlight gets shined on this, that this is not a, a, a magic carpet ride to always, you know, happier places, other spots, because a huge number of people that enter the portal either have to go down the next level to FCS level football or simply don't transfer anywhere else at all because they don't have a spot waiting for them somewhere else. I hope that part of this gets the attention that it deserves. Well, to Connor's point, the first year will be the worst because you've got this extra year of eligibility that's mm-hmm. that's clogging things up. You know, beyond that, guys, had an opportunity to talk to SEC Associate Commissioner Herb Vincent last night. The SEC still has a rule where you got to sit out a year or if you don't get a waiver. It'll be very interesting to see how the SEC rules on this because if the SEC maintains that rule that you still have to get a waiver from the SEC, I mean, the NCAA letting you do it's one thing, but right now there's still that conference rule. And that's important because to your point, BA, if people transfer out, maybe they can play right away in other conferences, but they can't play right away in the SEC, which I think we all would agree. And, you know, past NFL drafts and college football championships tell us is the premier league in the country. So it'd be very interesting to see if the SEC tries to take a stance with this maintain that waiver that you would have to have to play immediate in the immediately in the league to maybe curb some of the recruiting that would undoubtedly continue to go on between these schools if they could transfer right away to another SEC school and be eligible. I believe we've seen the American Athletic Conference in their interconference transfer ban this week, and I believe the Big 12 has done the same thing. So there are not a lot of conferences holding fast to this, but the SEC, I guess, for now, at least keeping that in place. We'll see if that changes anytime soon. I know there's a lot of stuff from both Connor and Mike on this dognation.com, and I hope you'll check all of that out. Jeff Sintel recruiting coverage there as well. G-Day, as we said, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm very, very excited to see what we do see and excited about seeing some of you in Athens on Saturday for those of you lucky enough to be there. Thanks for being here on Cover 4 Live here tonight. Sorry we're not in person to take your comments, but we'll certainly look forward to doing that again very soon. We'll see you this weekend. I'll see you tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily. And once again, very soon to cover four live. Have a great day.